In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus said, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what is this righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? As Jesus' words show, the scribes and Pharisees assumed, for example, that as long as they had not personally taken a life, as long as they had not personally bludgeoned someone over the head or wrapped their own fingers around someone's throat or actually physically stabbed someone in the back, as long as they themselves had not committed the deed, they weren't guilty of murder and they were righteous in God's sight. Not so, Jesus says. Everyone who is even angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees had relaxed the commandment so that they could think that they were righteous and obedient to the law. Not so, Jesus says. The law of God not only governs our external manifest actions, but also the sometimes subtle inner workings of the mind and the heart. And God sees the heart. And where the heart is filled with anger, or the mind with insults, or the tongue utters even the smallest discourtesy and says, you fool, there is a heart that is murderous in God's sight not only unrighteous, but deserving of earthly and eternal punishment. As Jesus says, liable to the council and liable to the hell of fire. And Jesus drives this point home in two ways. First, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift before the altar and go. First, be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. You see, God is not mocked. He cannot love God and hate your neighbor. God sees through it. Second, Jesus says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Amen, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The assumption here is that you are guilty. And if you are guilty, then come to terms with your accuser. Otherwise, as sure as you would face temporal consequences, no, in fact, even more sure, you will face eternal consequences. 
It may appear to you that you're getting away with all manner of unrighteousness, but that's only because your day in God's court has not yet come. Many, many people, whether they're religious or not religious, think just like the scribes and the Pharisees did, that they are righteous in God's sight. And not because they actually are, but because they have relaxed the law of God and taught others to do the same. Not only are they not in the kingdom of heaven, they are called least by those who are in the kingdom of heaven. For though they are evil, they think themselves righteous and good. So the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, the righteousness of fallen people, is no righteousness at all. As it is with murder, so too with adultery. The scribes and the Pharisees thought, as long as I don't physically cheat on my spouse, it doesn't count as adultery. As long as I don't physically cheat on my spouse, I've kept this law and therefore I'm righteous in God's sight. Not so, Jesus says. Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The same Pharisaic concept of righteousness pervades our entire culture today. People think, if I'm not married, I can't possibly commit adultery. If I'm not married, I can sleep with whoever I want, one night stand with whoever I want, move in with whomever I want. As long as I'm not married, it's not adultery. And if pressed too hard on this point, we'll simply drop the pious facade altogether and justify whatever sins of lust we want to. From pornography to promiscuity, from homosexuality to abortion, we'll let nothing stand in the way of our lust, all while congratulating ourselves and demanding that the world celebrate us. But Jesus tells us, in no uncertain terms, just what peril we are in. And his language shocks us. It's meant to be shocking. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. If it is better to dismember yourself than go to hell, how terrible hell must be. So many believe they are righteous, not because they are, but because they've simply relaxed the commandment of God and taught others to do the same, just as Jesus warns. So too with divorce, so too with oaths. Both are pious external ways of covering up and hiding the sinful heart. Look, a man could say, I gave my wife a certificate of divorce. I did everything properly and in accordance with the law. But why did you give her a certificate of, a, of divorce? 
If for any reason other than sexual unfaithfulness, then your certificate of divorce is simply an attempt to whitewash your sin, to cover over your own betrayal of the one you pledged to love. And the same is true of oaths. As a certificate of divorce was used to cover up sin, so an oath was used and is used to cover up a lie. How many lies have you heard begin with the words, I swear to God? It's pretty much one of the easiest tells that someone is lying. The person speaking the truth needs no embellishment. A liar does. So Jesus says, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything else comes from evil. So what then has Jesus taught us in this part of his Sermon on the Mount? Well, that the human heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. The human heart relaxes the commandments of God and teaches others to do the same. The human heart believes itself to be righteous even while it's filled with anger and lust. The human heart uses official certificates and pious-sounding oaths as pure deceit and cover-up for its own evil. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, unless your righteousness exceeds this kind of false and phony righteousness, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So who then can enter the kingdom of heaven? Who then is truly righteous? And the answer to that is only Jesus. Only Jesus and those whom he graciously brings into himself. For he alone keeps the fifth commandment perfectly. He alone is not a murderer in thought, word, or deed, but rather allows himself to be murdered on the cross for our sake. He doesn't take another's life, but rather lays down his life for others. He gives his back to the scourges and whips for you. He gives his head to the crown of thorns for you. He gives his hands and his feet to the nails for you. He gives his side to the Roman spear for you. And from his wounds flows his holy blood, blood that cleanses us from all our sins, blood that can make even the foulest person clean. And that blood flows from his cross to his chalice, and placing his chalice to your lips, he says, for you. At the altar of God and at the judgment seat of God, his blood pleads for you. And his blood marks you as one deserving of God's infinite mercy. Not because of anything you've done, but because he has marked you bought you and claimed you as his own and paid the price 
of your lawlessness, paid the price of your redemption fully and completely. The Son of God has bought and purchased you with His own precious blood. He alone keeps the sixth commandment perfectly. He alone is no adulterer in thought, word, or deed. For though we indeed have been unfaithful to Him and faithless toward Him, He is and remains faithful to us. Christ loved the church, the Scriptures say, and He gave Himself up for her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In and of ourselves, we're not exactly what you would call marriage material, ugly as we are in our sin. But Jesus has seen past it, seen through it, and he has loved us and loves us still. And he washes each one of us of our own specific idolatries, of our own specific adulteries. And by the washing of water and his word, by holy baptism, he joins you with his holy church, his holy bride. And so because of him, you are holy and you do have newness of life. With Jesus... There will never be a certificate of divorce. Confess your transgressions unto the Lord, and He will forgive the iniquity of your sin. A bruised reed He will not break, and a smoldering wick He will not put out. No, He will not give you a certificate of divorce ever, but will instead give to you the kiss of peace, and upon you once more breathe and give His Holy Spirit. But an oath, now an oath, he does take. An oath, he does swear. And this is one of the most remarkable treasures in all of the scriptures. As I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from their ways and live. The early church father, Tertullian, writes, The Lord invites us to salvation with an offer and even with an oath. When God says, as I live, he wants to be believed. Oh, blessed are we for whose sake God swears an oath. Oh, most miserable are we if we do not believe the Lord, even when he swears an oath. So what then do we see? Jesus is the only one who keeps the law of God perfectly. And he not only keeps it for us, he keeps it toward us. What does it mean that Jesus fulfills the law? So often we think about it only as if Jesus has passed the test and then given us the credit. Or as if Jesus has passed the test, and so I don't have to. Or even worse, Jesus has passed the law's test, and so 
any part on my any any attempt on my part to do the law must therefore be an insult to the work that he has accomplished. You see, the problem with all these kinds of thoughts is that they fall short of what it means for Jesus to fulfill the law. Jesus fulfills the law precisely in keeping the law toward us. He alone loves his neighbor as himself. He loves you and he loves me as himself. Indeed, he even loves us to the point of laying down his own life for us. His mercy is found precisely in his keeping of the law and in his doing of the law unto us. Having been enlightened by the Holy Spirit in the light of the gospel of Jesus, we too may now delight in the law of God. Not because it's a test that Jesus passed and then put away forever. We delight in the law of God because it shows us who Jesus is and who Jesus is toward us. We delight in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount because it simultaneously shows us the truth about ourselves and the truth about Jesus. It simultaneously shows us what we by nature are not and what he by nature is. He keeps the law toward us and so saves us from all our lawless deeds. And so we delight in the way of the law because Jesus does its goodness unto us. And we delight in the way of the law because Jesus bids us to learn from him and follow him in the law's goodness. This is not, of course, to earn salvation, which he has already freely given, but simply because he is good and the law is good and he has begun to make us good and will indeed bring it to completion. We want to keep the law more and more because we want to be more and more like Jesus. And that's exactly what our confessions teach. They say we are to keep the law when we have been justified by faith and so grow in fulfilling the law more and more by the Spirit. And here too we see what was long prophesied by God through the mouth and pen of the prophet Jeremiah. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.